end of the eight weeks, I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we can do it. It's eight weeks. It's a long time. Um, I don't know if people will hang with us this long, but in the process of going through all, we're now in week seven. Next week is the final week of, uh, of this series based on the book Life's Healing Choices. And uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, you do not want to miss next week. Uh, I'm giving a me- No, I'm not giving the message. You don't want to miss next week because of who is giving the message. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Uh, you can say, well, if, if Pastor Ryan's not going to give the message, I'm not going to be here. Because I know, I, I know, I get it. Um, but I was joking. I'm going to talk about pride today. So, no, the person that is giving the message, you, you will not want to miss it. I promise you, you will not want to miss it. It's going to be a great, great message. It's going to be a great conclusion, a period to the end of this series. And then uh, the following week, we're going to start a series leading into Easter on uh, the different miracles of the Bible, obviously leading into Easter, the greatest miracle of all the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're, we got some fun things planned for us. Uh, I want to just kind of review where we've been in this series. For those of you who maybe this is your first time, we'll just kind of briefly go over this and then, uh, and then we'll dive right into where we want to go. Um, as we've been going through this series, we've, uh, some of the staff have gotten letters and emails and notes, and some of you have written on cards just some of the transformational work that God's done in your life, some of the changes that you're making because of uh, rec- the recognition of things that, uh, some hurts, habits, and hangups that need to be addressed in your life, and so we're really excited about that. Uh, to me, that's just amazing. That's what church should be about. Uh, that's what uh, being a follower of Jesus should be about that there's a life transformation that takes place in our, in our lives, that if nothing is happening, uh, then what's the point, right? Then we're just kind of a social club that gets together. But when transformation takes place, that's, that's the stuff right there. Uh, that, to me, is amazing. And I was telling first service, now, you, you guys are kind of on, on a test today. Uh, first service didn't laugh much at my cheesy jokes, and so uh, we'll, see, we'll see how you guys do. But um, in first service, it wasn't a joke. Um, in first service, I was talking. To, I was I was talking about my daughter. I don't know if she's here. Oh, she is here. Sorry, it's just the the bummer of being a pastor's kid. But I'll tell it anyways. Uh, so my daughter's kind of at this age where I don't know if you have ever had a teenage daughter or have a teenage daughter or will have a teenage daughter. Uh, that's the majority of us. Um, there's a t-shirt out that says, oh, I'm sorry, did I roll my eyes out loud? Well, <laughs> we almost bought the t-shirt for our daughter. Or, you know, Anyway, she's, she's just at that age. She's 13. She rolls her eyes a lot. And pretty much everything I do embarrasses her. Everything. Uh, so this last week, uh, I was telling her that, you know how people come up with sayings, right? They'll, they'll have a word and they'll shorten the word. This has nothing to do with my message today, but I just want to... This is, I'm on a mission, um, I'm, on, I'm on a mission to bring this to you because I think we could, we could change the way we talk a little bit, and it's the word amazing, and I, I asked my daughter, because she knows everything that's cool right now, and I said, Does, has anybody shortened amazing to maze? Like, hey, uh, you know what, that's maze, you know, like, <laughs> like the fact that people's lives are being changed, that's maze, everybody. And so I was thinking, and she's like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I said, no, it's not. It's brilliant, and we're going to make it popular. 
So, at the end of service, I want everybody to, to tweet or Facebook or something and be like, that's hashtag maze, y'all. Let's do it. Do it right now, Jeremy. Jeremy's on it. He's all, Pastor Ryan's message, total maze. And that probably could have a couple different meanings, like I'm wandering, whatever. All right, we're going to recap. There is some other things that I hope that you'll laugh at. But uh, the first, uh, in week number one of the series, uh, we recognize that we're not God, right? That, That I'm not God, you're not God, that we are not God. And in week two, we said we earnestly have to believe that there is a God. That if we believe that there's a God and that we're not it, then we can begin to consciously commit all of our life and our will to Christ's care and control. And once we've done that, we can begin to openly confess our faults and, uh, and our hang-ups and our hurts and our habits to God, to uh, myself. We admit it to ourselves, and then we admit it to someone that we trust. Uh, then we can begin to voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in our life. Uh, and then evaluate all of our relationships, and we forgive those who have hurt us, and we ask forgiveness of those people we have hurt. And this is the one, uh, in the acronym of recovery, this is the one statement in which it comes with a disclaimer, right? So we go to those people who have hurt us and and offer forgiveness. We go to those people who we've hurt uh, and, and ask for forgiveness, except for when to do so would harm them or others, or even ourself, right? So we never want to put you in a position to uh, bring more harm to yourself emotionally or any of those things. But on the other hand, we do want to step into this place of forgiveness and asking for, for forgiveness. Today, I want to talk about how do we maintain in our life this process, this change? How do we not lose the progress that we're making in our Christian life? Um, the truth is in this is that Part of the reason why we never walk down this road towards freedom is because we, uh, we assume we're going to be right back where we started. And it really comes from this idea of New Year's resolutions, that uh, we, if you've ever made a New Year's resolution, at about week three, you're kind of back doing the thing that you said you, was, you weren't going to ever do again in your life. And, and so we try to white-knuckle it and willpower our way to change in our life and, it, and we're not very successful, if we're being honest, when it's in our own willpower. And so we approach the hurts, habits, and hang-ups in our life in, in a lot of the same way. We say, well, I, 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 I've tried to change that in my life, and I've never been successful, so why would this be any different? And so we don't ever begin uh, down that path of, of transformation and change in our life. Uh, the other side of it is we just don't believe that change can happen. Right? We... we what we've done has been uh, so bad, so hurtful, or the thing, the habit that we have just seems to be, have such a stronghold in our life that we don't believe that God could actually change us, and so we don't walk down that path. Because the reality is, is the, the road to freedom and recovery isn't smooth. It's not uh, a newly paved road. In fact, uh, I, I drive on Borgfield right now, and they've got all kinds of construction. It's the most ridiculous, bumpy road ever, and that's the road to recover. It's like, it's a lot of bumps. Uh, Sometimes it feels like you're taking two steps forward and one step back, and when you take that step back, it's discouraging. 
And so what happens is you take another step back and another step back, and eventually you find yourself right back at the beginning. There's a word for that. It's called relapse. It's the, it's the alcoholic that goes uh, back to drinking, the overeater that gains the weight back. It's the gambler who goes back to the casino, the workaholic that fills their calendar again. We tend to repeat the patterns of our past, and it's easy for us to slip back into our old hurts, habits, and hangups. Now, I want to stop for a moment and, uh, and say to you that like, I understand some of the language that we've used in this series is challenging. Uh, when we use words like recovery or relapse, oftentimes what happens is in the filter of our minds, we, because we've heard those words uh, attributed to other things, other contexts, we begin to filter them through those same things. So when we hear things like recovery or relapse, uh, or at least when I hear the word relapse, oftentimes my mind goes uh, to those things in our life, those habits in our life, like uh, alcoholism, like uh, being addicted to gambling or uh, sex addiction or any of these things. And we, we were like, okay, so that's relapses for those kinds of major issues in people, people's lives. And so that it doesn't really apply to me. Uh, and that would be a dangerous statement to make. I, I want to propose a thought uh, that maybe some of us would identify with, and it's this, that uh, the, the reality is, is oftentimes our hurts, habits, and our hangups are comfortable. And, and what I mean by that is we're addicted to the familiarity of the things that we are trying to overcome. Uh, if, if there's someone who's dealt with depression and you have, have found your way out of that, there's something about the familiarity of the depression that draws us back into it. And, you're, and it's like we're addicted to the unhealthy familiarity that comes from our hurts, habits, and hangups. Uh, and so I would just say to all of us that we're probably addicted in some way or another to some of these things uh, that have been holding us back from the life that God wants for us. Uh, if you've ever tried to, or maybe you're currently trying to change the way in which you speak to your spouse, and you want to speak words of life and truth and health, and, and you, you're making some headway in that, and, and you're, you're making some changes in the way that you speak to your spouse, but then you find yourself in the heat of the moment, and you regress, and you fall back to the old ways of uh, of talking to them, that literally is called a relapse. It, it doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus anymore. It just means that you've relapsed back into your old ways. And the definition of the word lapse is a temporary failure of concentration, of memory, of judgment. So relapse is to, to re-have a, a uh, failure of concentration, to have a, uh, a re-failure of memory, right? So you, you've forgotten the thing that you've moved towards. So I want to use this word relapse today, but I recognize that it can be a hang-up for some. And you should go through the series about life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups and address that and begin to walk into the freedom that God has for you. I want to I look at uh, relapse, what causes it, in our life, what causes us to regress, uh, and then uh, look at the positive side and say, okay, uh, how are we going to avoid that? Uh, 
all right? I want us to understand uh, that when this happens, when we take a step backwards and another step backwards and another, and we find ourselves regressing or relapsing, uh, it often happens in a very predictable pattern of our life. Uh, That pattern is in your notes. The first is complacency. We start to get comfortable with kind of the short gains. We get comfortable with the wins, right? We have a little bit of victory in this area. We have a little bit of victory in that area. And so we start getting complacent about those uh, wins that we have. Uh, we start saying, I don't, I don't need any more help. My pain has been reduced. It's not been eliminated, but it's been reduced to a tolerable uh, stage, so now I can actually uh, live my life and I can get by. It's, it's not affecting me the way that it used to affect me. And so then I don't need to work the steps anymore. I don't need to go through the road to recovery. I don't need a counselor anymore. I don't need someone in my life. We become complacent. The second is confusion. It's when we start rationalizing. We say, well, Maybe it wasn't really so bad after all. We, we forget how much it hurt in our life. And, and once we've experienced just a little relief from that, we start thinking, well, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not, I can handle myself. And then we go to a place of compromise. We go back to the place of temptation. We return to the risky situation that got us in trouble in the first place, whether it's the bar or the mall or Baskin and Robbins or whatever the case, like whatever that, that place is that, that first got you into that situation. It's, uh, it's the gambler who says, let's go to Vegas, but just for the shows, right? It's like you, you're going back to a place in which you know is compromising your life which ultimately leads to catastrophe. It's where we give in to the old habit, the hurt, the hate comes back, the resentment comes back. We have to understand that the collapse, the catastrophe, isn't the relapse. See, the catastrophe isn't when the relapse happens. The relapse happens when we become complacent. See, that's important for us to understand because we think, well, if I haven't given into it completely yet, we have to be very careful that if we become complacent, we're on the path to relapse. All right. Why? Why do we go backwards? Why, when Paul says, do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do, why do we go back even when we know what the right thing is? Why do we tend to go back on what we know is right? Well, number one, it's because we revert back to willpower. We start off trusting God. Like step one is power, we're powerless to change. Step two is God has the power. Step three is I'm going to give it to God. And we let God make those changes in our life and we experience some relief and some wins in our life. But after a while, we start thinking, I'm pretty amazing. Like I'm changing this thing all on my own. And we resort to willpower. And what we've, if we've learned anything over these last seven weeks, it's that if you could change, you already would have. If, if we could do it within our own willpower, if we could white-knuckle this sucker and change it on our own, then we already would have. But you can't, and so we won't. It's, it's got to be God in our life. And so for some of us, if we've come to this place to where we start realizing, well, maybe it's me that's making some change, 
you're now falling back into that temptation of thinking that you're God. It's like the lady who went up 21 stories to a door in an apartment building, knocks on the door, an attractive young lady's there, and she's wearing a sarong, there's incense coming out, and she's got little bells, right? I think you probably can imagine it a little bit. And she says, are you looking for Bargoni? The one who knows all, sees all, tells all, understands everything and is in ultimate control. And she said, uh, yeah, can you get, just go tell Sheldon that his mom's at the door? Right? Like, just go tell, that was a joke, but it didn't, <laughs> didn't laugh. It did, you guys didn't even laugh. It wasn't, I guess it wasn't funny. So, is, is all your name, it, it was not Maze, was it? It's going to catch on, I'm telling you. We've got the key. We've got it. So so amazed. No, if your name is Sheldon, I apologize. Uh, But it's this thought that we think that we are better than we are, and really we're just Sheldon, right? We we think we're all-knowing, we're all-powerful. I got this thing under control. I've got this thing licked, and we need people in our life to remind us that we're Sheldon. I know who you are. Like, like you can, like, come on, just be honest with yourself and, and be real with yourself. You're just Sheldon, right? You're not all-knowing, all-powerful. And what happens is, is oftentimes we fall back into this trap of believing that we've got it all under control. Number two, we ignore one of the steps. We revert back to willpower, and then we, we ignore one of the steps. We get in a hurry. We try to move through the steps quickly. We ignore one of the steps because we don't like it. Last week, we talked about uh, dealing with the relational conflict in your life, and, and we don't like that. I don't like to go to people and admit to them that I had hurt them and I apologize to them. Like, we don't, that's not, that's not what we love to do. And so we'll oftentimes skip over those things. We'll ignore one of the steps. We'll skip it. And I would just say to you, the steps are there for a purpose. We have to, we can't get a quick fix to the healing that we're looking for, to the freedom that we want. Number three, we have to recover. We try to recover without the support of others. I'll just get well by myself. I don't need anybody's help. Right? You're asking for a relapse if that's you. Right? I'll just come. I'll listen to the messages. I'll, uh, but I'm not going to go to a small group. I'm not going to go to a life group. I'm, I'm not going to allow people. In my, I'm certainly not going to admit my faults to somebody. I'm just going to handle this on my own. And if that's us, then, then we have to be very careful because we're headed towards relapse. The Bible reminds us that two are better off than one because if one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's too bad because there's nobody there to listen and lift him up or help him. When we're tempted and things are going bad, who do you have that person in your life that you could call? Uh, Early on, we had a conversation about the life of our church, and one of the things that uh, that we hoped that every person in our church would have is a 2 a.m. friend. As somebody that when you're in the midst of temptation or you're in the midst of a struggle, that it, it doesn't matter what time it is, it could be 2 a.m. in the morning and you could pick up the phone and call and say, I'm struggling. 
Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. So we can see short-term gains in our life without involving other people, right? If we do those steps and we don't involve anybody else, there will be some small little victories that take place. We will see short-term effects of that, but we can't experience long-term freedom without the relationships. It's just impossible. The root of the hurt, habit, or hang-up has to do with our relational issues, we can, get out, we can go out and we can practice those things on our own and not get involved with anybody else. And it will work for a little while, but eventually it will, we will relapse. It's kind of like driving a car at 50 miles an hour. You take your hands off the wheel. You're not going to crash immediately, but you are going to crash, right? You, it is going, you are going to hit something. We have to have other people in our life as mirrors reminding us, you're just Sheldon. Number four, uh, we become prideful. We get overconfident, and we say, I'm strong. I've got this thing. I've got this thing under control. I've forgiven that person. I've closed the door on that. It's okay. Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that pride goes before destruction. We have to stay humble or we are going to relapse. Pride gets us in all kinds of trouble. It, it sets us up for a fall. I remember early on in my ministry, I used to look at, and I've shared this before, but I used to look at um, pastors of large congregations and who have failed morally. And I would look at them, and, I, and I, I even remember having this conversation with God. I'm like, God, how in the world could you allow somebody like that to, to minister to thousands of people. I don't get it. Like, how could somebody who's, who's failed in such a way, and his response to me was, Ryan, how in the world could I let somebody like you minister to a few hundred? See, the moment that we get to a place to where we start looking at other people and, and, and saying, man, I can't believe that they would do that. The moment we get away from this notion that we're just one decision away, one bad decision away from being that person is the moment we're headed towards relapse in our life. We ought to walk around with the humility that says, that guy that just confessed on national television to his entire congregation, like that could be me. I could be that guy. And when we head that direction in humility, we begin to, to allow God to continue to work in our life. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, so if you think you're standing, watch. Uh, if you think you're standing, watch out that you do not fall. The, the secret of lasting recovery is to live with humility in our life. It's the best protection for relapse. Uh, quite a few years ago, back when the Soviet Union broke up, there was a German teenage boy who flew a private plane into Soviet airspace and he landed in the Kremlin, uh, landed in, the Kremlin in Red Square. It was the most heavily guarded airspace in the world and a kid flies right into it. It's the parable of our life. What it says is that our greatest weakness is oftentimes an unguarded strength. You say, I've got it all together. And scripture would say, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, my marriage would never fall apart. Watch out. 
my wife and I uh, went to counseling a year ago. I guess it's been a year ago. Um, and when, even when I say that, when I say, hey, we, we went to counseling, the response is, oh, my goodness. Like, what, what's going on in your marriage? Like, do we need to be worried? Are you going to be confessing something? No, we, we went to counseling because our marriage is okay. Right? Because we never want to get to a place to where we would say, oh, everything's good. Do we have issues? Sure, we've got issues. Everybody's got issues. We've got problems. Certainly there are things that we fall. But, but if we don't ever approach our relationships and our marriage in such a way that we would be able to say, you know what? I'm just as susceptible as anybody else to a failed marriage. Let's make sure that we're on the offensive and not just pretending like everything's okay. All right, how do I prevent a relapse? Here's the R in the acronym. If you're, if you're new to this, we've been going through the word recovery, uh, each of the word representative of something else. At the top of your page, uh, it's uh, of your notes, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, for Bible reading, and for prayer in order to know God and his will for my life. It's based on Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. What he's saying is it's human nature to have a relapse, to go back to the things that messes us up. It's human nature to let past problems revisit us. There are three safeguards that help us maintain our recovery, to maintain the progress in which we are making, and this is what we're talking about. The first is evaluation. Check up on yourself. Second Corinthians 13, 5, check up on yourselves. Lamentations 3.40, let us examine ourselves and let us repent. So what do we evaluate in our life? Well, there's three uh, specific things that we evaluate. First, our physical bodies. Like, it's depressing, but if you start evaluating, I'm not saying it is for you, it is for me. Um, we start evaluating, our body speaks to us. Our, our body gives us warning. What is my body telling me? It's a barometer of what's happening inside of us. Listen, if you've got tense, sore muscles, if you've got a crank in your neck, if you've got, you probably have stress in your life. If, if you get regular headaches or backaches, then there's probably something going on. I'm not saying it's all the time, but I'm just saying our body is a barometer. It speaks to us, and so we ought to listen to the warning light that maybe something is wrong. Maybe periodically throughout the day we stop and we say, what's my body saying to me? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I fatigued? Am I stressed out? And we just take some of those clues that maybe some things are out of line. The second thing is our emotions. What am I feeling right now? Am I, am I communicating my feelings or am I stuffing my feelings? Am I pushing them down? It's like, uh, it's like uh, I always think of people who push down their emotions and stuff them inside. It's like taking a two-liter bottle of Coke and dropping a, a, a Mento in it. it just, eventually, it's going to just blow You could do, if, if your emotions are kind of out of whack, you could do what's called the heart check, and it's, am I hurting? Right? Because if you're hurting and you won't admit it, you have to deal with it. Am I exhausted? We live in an overworked, crazy culture, 
In fact, some of you walked in today, and I can tell because you're sleeping during my message that you're exhausted. (laughs) Am I angry? Do I resent anybody? Am I tense? So our emotions, our, our bodies, our physical, our emotions, and then our relational. Am I at peace with everybody? Because if you're not, that internal conflict is going to keep you back from progress in your life. It will cause relapse in your life. Spiritual, am I relying on God? Moment by moment, am I relying on God? When you do an inventory at work, uh, right now is kind of the season of inventory. I think I was in Home Depot the other day and they're doing inventory. Maybe it's already passed. Is it passed? Is it end of January? Is that inventory? It doesn't matter. I don't care. But when you do an inventory, let's say you're doing an inventory at HEB, and you're doing an inventory of all of your fruit, you don't just inventory the bad fruit. You inventory the good stuff as well. Right? You do an evaluation. You take an inventory. And it's the same thing with our life. When, when you take an inventory of your life, you don't just focus on the bad things. There needs to be an element in which you focus on those things that are good, those little victories that you're making. Otherwise, if all you're ever focused on is the negative, it's just going to cause you to fall back another step and another step and another step. You do an evaluation of your life. You celebrate your successes, you confess your failures, but you be grateful for what's been done right. When do I do my evaluation? Well, uh, it's like cleaning your house. Uh, Some of you are neat freaks, you clean up all the time, Uh, you you follow your little toddler around, and every time they drop something, you pick it up, and uh, and some of you you don't do that. Uh, some of you don't clean your house at all. I mean, I'm, I don't know about you guys necessarily, but I've seen hoarders on TV, and some people just don't clean their house at all. And if that's you, you probably won't understand this analogy. Uh, but think about it in the context of how we clean our house. Uh, if you spill something, you clean it up. It's just, I mean, most of us, right? Like you knock something over, you clean it up right away. When you notice something, you, you pick it up. Uh, but also, you at the end of the day, you kind of look at the disaster that your eight-year-old daughter made in the living room, and you tell her to pick it up. But then you come <laughs> along, and you kind of help clean it up and, and do that. And then once a year, or maybe twice a year, you do an evaluation of your house, and you do what's called spring cleaning or fall cleaning, or deep cleaning, that, that now it's like the deep stuff, and it's the same thing with our life. If there's something in your life during the day that you notice is out of whack and is, is just a little messed up, you immediately address it. But then you also, at the end of the day, you take an inventory of your day. Here's some things that I'd like to work on tomorrow. Here's some things that I need to get cleaned up. Here's some things that I need to address. Here's some areas that, that worked out well today. And then once a year, you just take some time and you do some deep inventory. You take an, a, a moral inventory. You, you address, like, where am I at spiritually, emotionally, physically? And you say, okay, God, here's some things that I want to work on this year. So it's the same. It's how you presumably clean your house. Number two, meditation. We don't like that word, uh, right? We hear the word meditation. And we think yoga. We hear meditation, we think 
somebody sitting cross, you know, um, like, and, and, it, and we have kind of a aversion to the word. But the reality is, is the word meditation is actually a biblical word that has been hijacked from other people. So it's a, it's a biblical word that's been used in other contexts that's kind of made us go, I don't know if I, I no, I don't, we're not about meditation. We don't believe in that stuff. Well, meditation is really this slowing down that's just long enough to hear God. That's what meditation is. It's slowing down long enough to hear God. It's Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Happy are those who are always meditating on God's law. <gasps> what? Meditating? I don't know. And then thinking about ways to follow him closely. They are like trees on a river that do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. So the key to growth is to have roots that are deep down in God's word. Well, how do we have roots that are deep down in God's word? We have to meditate on it. We have to read the Bible and then think about what it is that we read. Uh, some of you are going through our foundations class, and as you're going through that, you're being taught, like you read the scriptures, and then you write something down. You journal about the thing that you read. Like, how does this apply to my life? That's called meditation, the key to growth is to have these roots that are deep. We need each other. We need God's word to help us, keep us on the road to freedom. It's like a, uh, we need God's word ingrained in us. There was a guy, uh, he was going through some financial troubles and lost everything, lost uh, his whole life was in shambles, and the pastor came to him and said, man, what's going on? He's like, my, I've just lost everything financially. I uh, lost my job. I lost, uh, I can't pay bills. I, I've got debt up to my neck, and um, it's just bad. And the pastor said, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a Bible. I want you to open it. I want you to put your finger on the scripture, and, and God's word says that he will bring us to a place of succeeding in our life. I want you to point to scripture. I want you to read it and see if God changes your life. About six months later, pastor runs into the same gentleman and his life's just absolutely changed. He's like, financially, he's doing much better. He's got his life back and all that. And the pastor's like, well, what happened? And he said, well, I did just exactly what you said. I, I opened up my Bible. I pointed to a, a place in the Bible and it said chapter 11. And so I did it. <laughs> chapter 11. Was that Mace? It was Mace. I don't suggest that technique. Like, like you don't want to, uh, you know, just flip open your Bible and point to a scripture and it says Judas hung himself. And then flip it open again and go and do like, like, you know, like, you, that's not a good way to read the scripture. It just isn't good. They don't recommend chapter 11 or 13 or 7, for that matter. But it's this, it's the manual for our life, and it becomes easier if we meditate on it. So how do we meditate? Psalm 119 says, I thought much about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. He says, I think about your words. I store them in my heart. You memorize the scripture. As I think about your words and memorize these key principles and key passages, it keeps me from sinning. And you say, Ryan, I don't know. I can't do it. I've tried to read my Bible. I can't meditate on Scripture. And I would ask you the question, can you worry? 
Can you worry in this life? Do you worry? Because if you can worry, you can meditate. Think about it. Worry is a negative form of meditating. You take a negative issue, a negative thought, you put it at the forefront of your mind, and you think about it all the time, and you worry. So if you can worry, you can meditate. So we just take the negative thing out, put God's word there, and think about God's word all the time. Number three, prayer. There's a third tool that God says will be helpful to us in maintaining our recovery, and that's prayer. Prayer can do whatever God can do. In fact, it's the way that we plug into God's power. You get it through prayer. Most people don't realize that you can pray about the needs that you have in your life. I'm not talking about wants. I'm talking about needs. You can pray about your financial needs, your physical needs, your relational needs, your spiritual needs, your emotional needs. Like God wants your needs. He wants, him, he wants you to bring them to him. Some of you have heard about Chuck Swindoll. He's a, he's a pastor of a, of a large church, was a pastor of a large church. And, uh, he passed, right? Chuck Swindoll did? No, he's still alive. I was just kidding. He's, he's healthy, breathing. Anyways, I was reading one of his devotionals that I thought isn't as important now because he's still alive, but that someday will become very important. No, he was, he was telling a story about a time in which uh, he met this woman who uh, had, like, a lot of kids. But she didn't get married until she was 31. Uh, but she had, like, 12 kids. And she shared with him that uh, every night she would go to bed and she would pray this prayer. She would say, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. And Chuck thought that was pretty interesting, and so he shares it with his congregation, and as he's sharing that story, uh, he sees this gentleman, he's laughing, this, this man, he's laughing, but the, the teenage boy sitting next to him, he's not laughing about it at all. And about four weeks later, he gets a note from the, the teenage boy's mom and says, Pastor Chuck, I don't know if this is serious or not, I'm, I'm just wondering what you thought about it and what we should do about it, but every night now when my boy goes to bed, he hangs a bikini at the end of his bed. <laughs> That was closer to maze, maybe. (laughs) How do I pray? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. This, then, is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs that we have done as we forgive wrongs that others have done to us. Do not bring us to temptation, but keep us safe from the evil one. It's a familiar passage of scripture. If you've been around the church at all in your life, you would equate it to what's considered the Lord's Prayer. Some of you have recited the Lord's Prayer. And what's interesting is, uh, I want you to notice the, a couple of things about this passage. First, if you have your Bibles, circle the word how. Notice it says, this is how you should pray. It doesn't say, this is what you should pray. It says how. It's a model. It's not a a ritual to be prayed. It's a model by which everything that we do in our life, we should be presenting to him 
in this way. In fact, a couple verses prior to that, Jesus himself is saying, I don't want you to pray ritual prayers that are vain repetitions. He says, no, I, I want you, this is how I want you to pray. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice that all of the steps that we've talked about over the past seven weeks exist within it. That the, the road to freedom, the steps to freedom, exist within the context of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's saying, I realize I am not God, but you are. That's steps one and two. May your will be done and your kingdom come. That's step number five. Give us this day our daily bread. That's step number three. Forgive us our debts. That's step number four. As we forgive others, that's step number six. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's relapse. That's this step. Recovery has been around forever. And it's not just some 12-step program, 8-step program. It's not just some man-made thing. It's the, it's the principles by which God has asked us to live our life. He says, walk through these things. As you pray every day, pray the steps of recovery in your life and see what God does. He gave us these principles. We ought to be willing to apply them to our lives. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's hard for us, for some of us, to, to navigate this, this road because it, it is so difficult. And it's so easy to fall back in the ways of doing things that we thought uh, were done and over with in our life. And sometimes when that happens, we give up. We stop walking down that road towards freedom. So God, today I pray that we would be a people who recognize that. We would be a people that, that every day when we wake up, we don't just recite the Lord's Prayer, but that's how we pray with a humility that says, I'm susceptible to going back to where I came from. And so today I put my trust in you. Today I depend on you for everything that I need. Today I forgive those who have hurt me. I ask for forgiveness for those who I've hurt. Today I ask that your will would be done in my life here on this earth as it is in heaven, God, that, that I would walk that out today. And God, today, lead me not into temptation. And let me always be reminded of who you are. For those of you here this morning who don't have a relationship with God, nobody's looking around, everybody's got their heads, everybody's got their privacy this morning, they have their heads bowed or eyes closed. I would just say that nothing of what we've talked about these past seven weeks, nothing that I've talked about today is even possible without a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's got to start there. It's got to start to this recognition, I'm not God. I believe there is a God. And I need to confess my faults, my failures, and ask for his forgiveness and start there. If you've always wondered, like, there's got to be something more. I, I want to experience freedom in my life. I just keep hitting this wall, and it seems like it never happens. I would just say, have you made this step? Because this is the first step. And so with nobody looking around, I just want to give you that opportunity. We often give people uh, the, the chance to respond to God in a way that would say, God, today is the day that I start realizing I'm not God and that you are, and I let you lead my life. And if that's you, if you've never done that and would like to do that for the first time today, I just want to pray with you and I'm going to invite you to, uh, to raise your hand and say, Ryan, that's me. Will you, will you include me in that prayer that you're about to pray? Is there anybody that's saying that today? That would just be that bowl? Good, I see your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. Anybody else? Well, God, for these two, uh, let's just give the two of you the language. And I, I can't pray this for you necessarily, but, but I can't give you the language and, and the words because sometimes we don't know exactly what to say. And ultimately, though, it's got to come from your heart. It's got to come from, from within you. And it's just, it's as simple as saying, God, I realize I'm not God. And you are. And I recognize that I've been living this life, leading it on my own. And I want you to be the leader of my life. Forgive me for my past, my, my faults. Forgive me for the things that have been disobedient and disrespectful to you. And today, God, I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.